Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name's Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode, we'll go through some of the pros and cons of being single when it comes to money. Now, I've already discussed about couples and money in episode 221. If you're interested, go back and have a listen to that one. Now, we can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. As a full-service financial advisory business, they can help you in many ways, whether that be your requirements on general business advice, structuring, and use of multiple entities for tax minimization or asset protection purposes to protect you for the extra risk we take as a medical professional or as a sounding board on ideas you have on your business. Check out altusfinancial.com.au. Now, if you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, the three main aims are education, empowerment, and entertainment. Now, singles and money. What's that all about? Now, a few definitions. I'm defining singles and money as someone who does not share their finances with anyone else and someone who's not in any relationship of any kind. And this includes people that might have children and those that are divorced or separated, including any child support they may or may not receive. This also includes singles who've never been in a relationship or have no intention to be in a relationship anytime soon in the future. Now, what this doesn't include are people who live in a family with just one income. So singles and money doesn't mean a family with a single income. They're two separate categories. First of all, the principles of finance don't change very much for singles when it compared to couples or families or anyone else. Let's go through these principles once again. You must pay yourself first. You've got to take 20% of your after-tax income and you've got to set it aside because you're the most important person in your life. And that fundamental principle doesn't change whether you're single or in a relationship or have a family. Then you've got to take that money and you've got to invest it. Not tomorrow, not next week, but as soon as you have the money. The best time to invest for anyone is always when you have the money. And always now, because the sooner you invest, the better it is in the long term, thanks to our friend compounding interest. The third thing is, you've got to reinvest dividends, which means you've got to invest in things, hopefully, are productive assets. And this means you invest in things that have to increase in value, but also pay you an income. Otherwise, you're just speculating. Number four is you've got to do it for the long term. Now, the average person defines long term as five, seven years. I have a very long definition of long term. I think if you're putting money for retirement or investing, you've got to do it for 20, 30, if not 40 years plus. Essentially, you've got to keep investing forever. 
Remember, when you reach retirement or when you reach financial independence, your investing doesn't stop. Your money continues to grow and you may wish to contribute to that from the dividends or from the income that those investments are invested in. And lastly, wherever possible, you have to automate these steps. Because with automation, you're more likely to remember it and less likely to forget and screw it up in the first place. So let's use an example to highlight these basic five steps. Amy is a resident medical officer, age 28, and is an aspiring cardiologist. She understands no matter how much money she will earn in the future, she needs to get into the good financial habits now. Her monthly after-tax income is around 6000 based on yearly income of about $100,000, inclusive of superannuation. She needs a bit of cash flow, which means she needs access to the money now, so she decides not to maximise her concessional contributions into her super, which means her employer basically contributes to her super and she doesn't max it out, so she doesn't contribute anything additionally. Now, she has help or hex debt, but she has no other debts at all. She wants to buy a home in the future, but is not in a rush. And she has about $30,000 saved up. She calculates she needs another $10,000 to achieve the 5% deposit required to buy a home because she's luckily eligible for a low deposit home loan. So what does she do? Every month, she sets aside $1,200 because $1,200 is 20% of her after-tax income, which was $6,000 per month. And she decides to pick a broad market index fund because that's her style. And she sets up her banking in such a way that $1,200 every month is taken from her account and deposited into her brokerage account. She then logs into that brokerage account every month on the first of every month and invests it into the broad market ETF. Now, she has adjusted her share registry information and she's adjusted her broker information to ensure the dividends are always reinvested. In other words, she doesn't draw down her dividends and spends it. Now, she's only 28, and she'll be doing this, she reckons, for the next 40 years. She's trying to automate most of this as much as possible. Now, whether Amy is single or married or in a de facto relationship or has a partner, these five steps are universal and should apply no matter what stage of her life she's in. So, if you're listening to this, no matter what age you are, you got to start doing these things. So what does Amy do with the rest of the money she has, which is around $4,800 a month? She could save some of that towards a home deposit. She can save some of that towards an emergency fund. Or she can try and maximise those two categories as much as possible. It's up to her. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, these five steps have to be mastered. And they have to be mastered as quickly as possible. They have to be sorted out before you do anything else, except if you have consumer debt, because that's really important. You've got to get rid of consumer debt before you do these five steps. And you've got to promise yourself you're never going to go back into consumer debt ever again. The thing is, I speak to so many healthcare workers who don't do this. Doctors, nurses, allied health people, pharmacists, dietitians, you name it. I speak to a lot of them via Facebook, via Twitter, and via phone conversation. And a lot of them don't do it. And a lot of them are trying to invest. It doesn't work like that. You can't walk before you crawl. Now, even if you don't take the money and invest it into something today, you got to get into the habit of saving that 20%, paying yourself first and putting it aside and then investing it. When the time is right for you, 
but you've got to master that initial steps. Investing and retirement planning, FIRE, whatever you want to call it, is all about a systems-based approach. In this example, when Amy becomes a cardiologist, and we wish her well, her income might be 10 times as much. But that doesn't matter, because the principles are the same. Instead of $1,200 per month of investment, she might be investing $12,000 per month of investment. That's it. The numbers change. The decimals move. But the process doesn't. Come back and listen to this episode in 50 years' time. The principles will be exactly the same. So, what are the pros of single life and money? Once you've mastered those five concepts, here are three main advantages. Number one, control. You are not answerable to anyone else. This means you have complete autonomy to what you please and what you want to do with your money. You don't have to run financial decisions past anyone else. And you can really bunker down and ramp up your savings. When I was single, my savings was easily 70% or more. It's hard to do that as a family because once you have partners and kids and extended family and dependents, they all cost money. Number two, the flexibility of spending as much or as little as you wish, which provides clarity. For example, if you want to skip a meal today because you want to save more money, sure, you can do that. Now, I don't advocate people skipping meals to save money, but if you wanted to, you could. You have that flexibility. With partners, families, kids, you can't expect them to skip a meal. You want to work a public holiday? Sure, you get paid penalties. You can increase your income. You earn more money. You don't have to ask for permission from anyone else. You're not bound by partners or kids demanding attention for your time. You can do it. Save more money. Spend it all if you want to wish. Your finances are visible only to you and you are only answerable to yourself. Now, recently, I asked a few of my colleagues to see if they wanted to maybe do some shifts, which I want to give up on a public holiday. And all of them said the same thing. I need to check with my better half and the kids to see if I'm free. And... That flexibility is much better when you're single. The third thing is your debt is only your own. One of the things about having partners or being married is you're also liable for their debt. Your partner goes on a spending spree and racks up credit card debt. Guess what? If they can't pay it, you may be responsible. Now, this is called sexually transmitted debt. STD, not to be confused with sexually transmitted infections, STI. For that, you need azithromycin and ceftriaxone for most people. Number four, the ability to take on more risk. When you have a partner or dependent, your ability to take on more risks is limited. I'm a classic example. There is no hope in hell, am I going to be starting a brand new business, nor do I wish to, or jump out of a plane for a skydiving experience anytime soon. I have a family, I have dependents who rely on my income, so there is no reason for me to take that kind of risk. Whereas if you're single, you don't need to seek approval to take such risks either. Although, if I was single, I don't think I'd be jumping out of a plane either. Number five, freedom of movement. When you're married or in a relationship or you have kids, you're often tied down to certain suburbs, cities or states or locations. When you're single, you don't need to worry about school zones. 
you can geo-arbitrage, you can live in a cheap place and work somewhere else, you have full freedom of mobility. Number six, reduce costs. House sharing is easily possible as a single person. This means utilities and other expenses can be shared. This is a huge advantage. If I ask my family to share a room with another person, I'm not sure whether I'd survive that conversation. It's not negotiable for any families or partners. Or what about people with children? No kids is a huge cost saver. Your food bill is way lower. Your cleaning bill is way lower. Cooking for one is often misinterpreted as more expensive than cooking for two or more. That may be incorrect. That depends on the food that you cook and the style of your cook, of course. But it may be incorrect. Travel costs are way cheaper. Except for hotels, as most hotels charge for twin occupancy, even if it's just one person. Number seven, you have more time to side hustle. Being single means you don't have to be home at a certain time to feed the kids or the dog or spend time with your better half or spend time with your partner or watch that romantic show. You can just work as much as little as you wish. Now, I read about a doctor recently who is single, basically did some shifts, rearranged them in such a way they had seven days off, then quickly packed their bags and headed off overseas as soon as borders got open. You can't get that level of flexibility and time to side hustle if you're in a family. And you can't do that at short notice either, if you have a partner or if you have kids. Number eight, personal insurance costs are low. If you don't have dependents or people who use support, you probably don't need much insurance, if any. Personal insurance costs can be very expensive. Most people are spending anywhere between five dollars and $10,000 per year for income, trauma, TPD and life insurance, if outside of their super. If you don't have to do that much, it's a big saving. Now, for me, that's an opportunity cost of not investing. It could be worth potentially $2.6 million over 40 years with a 0.2% expense ratio and an 8% annual growth rate. So personal insurance costs, although very important for singles and couples and families, the cost may be significantly lower for singles because you just don't have to cover so many dependents, if any. That's about it for the major pros of being single and having money issues. But before we get to the cons, let's take a quick break and see you on the other side. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Now, just another thanks to Altus Financial for getting behind My Millennium Money Medical. We can't do this podcast without them. Whether you're established in your career with a solid income and looking for next steps or you're after advice about buying into, selling or opening your first practice, Altus Financial can help. Altus is offering a complimentary 15-minute chat for anyone who wants to discuss their scenario with their professional team. Click the link in the show notes to find out more. Now, what about the downsides of being single and money? Number one, you have less money. Dual income is always going to be better than single income. In fact, in Australia, two people earning $200,000 together will end up with more money in their hand than one person earning $200,000. Or two people earning $200,000 will end up with more money in their hand than one person earning $400,000. It's a singles tax. Less money in hand means less money to save and less money to invest, and therefore less money to spend. Number two is everything is on you. You take the ultimate responsibility. You don't have anyone to bounce ideas off frequently. Maybe you have a good friend, but not on a daily basis. Sure, family or friends can help you around, but it's not the same. There is less likely accountability and leading to less motivation. Number three, living expenses can be higher if you want privacy. The advantage of being single is that you can live in a share house or group living situation. But if you don't want to do that, which, let's face it, is impractical for a lot of people. For me, I can't share a house with anyone else. I can't share a bathroom. I can't share a room if it's not my family. So if you need to spend all your own money to live in a rental or buy a home, your housing expenses become a significant portion of your income. Along with that is your utilities, water, lights, Costs can add up and can be quite significant. Singles can end up paying more of their income as a percentage for living costs. Now, I'm not discussing singles as in like a family with a single income. I'm just discussing singles as in someone who's not in a relationship. Now, if you have kids, that's an even bigger portion of your income for living expenses because kids use up a lot of water, a lot of lights, a lot of energy. Kids cost money. Number four, emergencies can be disastrous. If you have an emergency as a single person, the advantage is that you don't have dependents, but the disadvantage is there is literally no backup plan. It can destroy your finances. If you don't have personal insurance and fall ill, then where will your income come from? You may have to rely on social security benefits until you get back onto your feet. Number five, generally speaking, there isn't much specifically structured for singles. Now, I've been more oblivious to this until recently. Accommodation is more expensive for singles. Tickets to events can be more expensive for singles. They have family tickets, which are cheaper per individual than buying, say, four singles tickets. Even in the latest budget, there wasn't much for singles. It's quite interesting that a large segment of the population is not really considered very much at all when it comes to financial things. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh here, but something I'm noting more and more. Because when you turn on the TV... There's all this talk about families being able to afford housing, families being able to afford their rising living costs, families being able to afford rising petrol costs. Not many people say, well, hang on, it's actually more tougher being a single in those circumstances. So 
from a structural point of view, from a society point of view, everything seems to be geared towards couples and families rather than single people. And even, you know, single people with kids, with dependents. Hope this clarifies the pros and cons of being single with money. Of course, there is no one right answer. What's my take? The biggest advantage in control and flexibility. That is your biggest advantage as a single person when it comes to your own money and the ability to live your life as frugally as possible and make as much money as possible. When you partner up or have kids, that flexibility, level of control vanishes and especially with kids. So if you're single with kids, you're at a significant disadvantage compared to just being single. So take advantage of your single days. Make as much money as possible if you can. Save as much money as possible if you can. Invest as much money as possible as you can. And hopefully, you won't have to do that much later in life. Now, you can take that statement and apply it to pretty much every situation. It always is correct. If you save as much money as possible, if you make as much money as possible, and you invest as much money as possible then in whichever circumstances you are, later on in life, you're going to have to do much less. Now, when you do partner up, and supposing they work, here is my one pro tip. For the first five years, live on just one income and save the other income. Plough it into investments. Whatever you know and understand, hopefully it's productive assets that you're buying. Just do this for the first five years at least. Then after five years, you may wish to save 75% of one of the incomes and blow the other 25% on whatever you want to do. Then after another five years, you may want to just save 50% of one of the incomes and blow the other 50%. Then after another five years, you may just wish to save 25% of one of the incomes and blow the other 75%. It's up to you. But these figures are relatively conservative and you can change these principles as much as you wish. But... The first five years, save 100% of one of the incomes and invest it. Because this habit will get you to financial independence sooner than you can ever imagine. Let's use an example to highlight all of these principles. Amy is a junior doctor and has just completed an internship. She's decided for the next five years, she'll be in training trying to get into rheumatology. Her income on average over the last five years, or the next five years, beg your pardon, is going to be anywhere between $120,000 and $150,000, depending on how many hours she works, shift penalties, weekends, all that sort of stuff. And when she fellows, if she's lucky, she's going to be between 33 and 35 years of age. She's single. Amy decides to hunker down, locum during training, and bump up her earnings to around $180,000 to $200,000 over the next five years. She saves 50 to 70% of her income. And at age 32, she has around $387,000 in investments, including your super. Assuming 7% returns and a 0.2% expense ratio. Now, these figures, you may be thinking, well, that's ridiculously high. It is. But these are all just basic principles of just saving a lot of money, making a lot of money and investing early in life. And I made this example purposely like this because I want to highlight this specific point about how to manage money as a single person early in life and maybe when you partner up or have kids, how to manage it later in life. So now she meets a partner who is an engineer earning around $120,000 per year. 
Let's assume they decide to live on Amy's income for the next five years and save her partner's income and contribute to the investments. On Amy's 37th birthday, they will have $1,062,000. Again, assuming around 7% growth and a 0.2% expense ratio. For the next five years after that, they decide to just save 75% of her partner's income and use the 25% for expenses for their children. On Amy's 42nd birthday, they would have $1.867 million. Then after that, they only save 50% of her partner's income and then blow the other 50%. Now, I'm not accounting for any other investments, not accounting for superannuation, nothing. I'm not even accounting for higher income for her partner. I'm also not accounting for parental leave for Amy, but you can see how it all can average out over the time. By Amy's 49th birthday, they would have $2.85 million, assuming a 7% return and a 0.2% expense ratio. And if this continues by Amy's 54th birthday, they would have about $4.1 million. Now, here are some assumptions. 7% annual rate of return and 0.2% expense ratio. I think moving forward, that's not an unreasonable expectation. Amy spends all of her income. So I don't account for parental leave as a result of it. Technically, Amy should be paying herself 20% of her after-tax income, but she doesn't. And the reason I've done it is because Amy's going to take some time off, maybe have kids and have parental leave and all that sort of stuff. So it kind of averages out over the years. They never buy property, which is unlikely. They never have super, which is very unlikely. They don't invest in anything else, which is also very unlikely. And both of them don't get a pay rise which is also very unlikely. And like I said, Amy doesn't save 20% of her income and doesn't invest it like a pay-yourself approach, which is not a great move, but assuming the worst-case scenario, which is also unlikely. What I'm saying is just conservative principles, keep it really basic, and they don't have to do anything fancy and don't have to do anything huge with property or super or whatever. They're going to be fine. So you can play with this strategy as much as you wish. Perhaps you want to save 100% for five years, then spend all of the other income. After that, you don't want to save anything else. Maybe you want to do 100% for the first five years of the partner's income and then 50% for five years and then just stop. It's up to you. These calculations are designed to inspire you to come up with a system. Finances is a systems-based approach. Now, At age 65, in the above calculations, if Amy and her partner decide to stop investing at age 54 for Amy, how much will they have? They'll have about $8.4 million. Again, a 7% ratio of, you know, earnings and and performance and 0.2% expense ratio. Now, supposing Amy and her partner only saved 100% of her partner's income and then they decided they didn't want to save ever again. And they only do that for the first five years. How would that feature compared to, you know, after five years, you reduce your savings to 75%, another five years, reduce it to 50% and then go to 25%. Supposing they ignore all that, they just do five years of saving 100% of the partner's income and then they don't want to do anything else. Where would they be at the age of 65? They'd have $7.13 million dollars. Notice it's just a difference of about 1.2 million odd. That's not much in the scheme of things, considering they've only saved money for five years and just let it grow 
over 30 or 40 years. The biggest point here is start early, be aggressive, and you're likely going to have multi-million dollar status and achieve financial freedom at a much younger age. Check out my episode 116, where I specifically talk about savings rate early on, because I think it's way more important than investment returns early on in your FR journey. Now, that's about it for this episode, Singles and Money. Stay tuned for the next episode. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using. I'll leave a five-star review on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. The more ratings you leave and the more reviews you leave, the more people get access to this podcast, which means we can educate more people. So please keep them coming. And of course, I love reading reviews as well. This is Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 